Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning together Re'eh, Revi'i, the fourth Aliyah in the parasha of Re'eh. Our Aliyah is on the topic of holy people, holy food. Our Aliyah is 21 Pesukim long and runs from Perik Yudalad, Pasuk Aleph to Chof Aleph. Let's take a look at the sections of this Aliyah. There are two basic sections. The first is a prohibition against self-mutilation. We hear that Moshe Rabbeinu tells the nation of Israel, You are children to Hashem. Do not mutilate yourself or pull out your hair in mourning for a dead person. You are holy to Hashem because He chose you to be His nation among all of the rest. So don't do this to yourselves. That's the first section of the Aliyah. The second section deals with kosher foods. We're told not to eat to'eva, abominations, disgusting things. What are they? Well, we get a list. We're told that these are the animals you can eat. I'm using the translation of Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan in the Living Torah. Not to, You are allowed to eat ox, sheep, goat, gazelle, deer, antelope, ibex. Um, Shami, the bison, and giraffe. The, the, and then there's a description of the rule, which is anything which has split hooves and chews the cud, you are allowed to eat. Then the, the Torah goes on to enumerate the things which only have one simon, one of those signs. So those which do not have split cud, hooves but do chew the cud are including the camel, the hyrax, and the hare are excluded. And they're not allowed to be eaten. And of course the pig, which has split hooves but does not chew the cud, is also not allowed to be eaten. Then we hear about the aquatic creatures. We're told the rules, anything which has fins and scales, you may eat. If it, is, if it lacks one of them, you may not eat it. Then we hear about the uh, avian section, about the birds. We're told a list of things that we may not eat and their species. So the eagle, the, uh, the ossifrage, the, the, the osprey, the white vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the raven family, the ostrich, the owl, the gull, the hawk family, the falcon, the ibis, the swan, the pelican, the magpie, the cormorant, the stork, the heron family, the hoopoe, and the bat. Also, all insects are forbidden. At the end of the Aliyah, we hear about the prohibition of eating a nevela. That means an animal which died not through the process of shechita, of shechting it. In such a case, a person may sell it to a non-Jew or give it to a Geratoshav, a non-Jewish resident in the land of Israel, um, because you are a holy nation. You may not eat it. And finally, the last clause in the Aliyah is do not cook a goat in its mother's milk, which is the prohibition which is being enumerated again of the Isur of Basar Bechal, of milk and meat together. Let's take a few basic points to ponder when considering this Aliyah. There's a lot to absorb. First of all, this the prohibition of self-mutilation. Why is that connected to the next Pasuk or the idea of you are a child to Hashem? Why is that the rationale, reason for why one should not self-mutilate? The Ramban um, uh, says, but in fact, this, Ali, this, um, this idea was already given to the Kohanim in Parshas Emor. It's now being repeated for all of Israel. So Rashi says the reason that the emphasis on your children to Hashem is because um, you are the princes of a king, and a prince of a king needs to look becoming and not mutilated. So it's a, a symbol of your respect, self-respect you're supposed to have. Raman says, no, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, why would it be focused on in the mourning period? Why is it specifically when a person is mourning that there's a prohibition on um, pulling out their hair and mutilating themselves? Raman explains that because it is a description of the fact that we are children of Hashem, therefore we know that the soul goes on. When the body dies, that's not the end of the process. That being the case, don't get overly um, tra traumatized by death. Death is terrible and it's painful, but it's not the end of a person. The person is not destroyed. The way the Orachim HaKadosh gives an example is if a father sends off a son to another country or city to do business, the father knows that although the son is not here, the son is still existent. The son is still around, even if he's not present. When you realize you are a child to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you, the, the, the soul may be in a different place, but the soul is still here. And therefore, there is a consolation, which is why a person who is mutilating 
or pulling out hair, it being overly disturbed by death, is, um, is in fact missing the point of the eternality of the soul as well. Those nine Torah of Sarotskin has a different perspective and he says that this may be a um, sign that a person thinks their pray- prayers, their tefillahs are not being answered. So what do they do? Because they feel that, that, that the gates of mercy are not open to them, they try to do something to evoke mercy. So they self-mutilate to, so to speak, uh, arouse the mercy of Hashem on, this, on themselves. Hashem says, don't do that, you're my child. It's, it's like a child, God forbid, who, who needs to hurt themselves to show that, to get attention from their parent. The parent doesn't want that. They would want to give attention to that child without the mutilation. That's what's being told, described over here as well. Now, why is this mitzvah right over here? Why does this happen in, the, in this sequence? So if you remember the last aliyah, it's interesting that um, the, Rav Hirsch points out that the previous aliyah described very charismatic people using the influence of a fa- friends and family to make bad decisions. So you have people who were mesis, or mediach, people who convinced their, their other family members or their friends or their neighbors to serve a Zorro or they were prophets. And so this mitzvah is not to take, uh, not, not to pay, place uh, so much concern in, uh, in other people to the degree that their disappearance or their bad advice will shift your life in such a dangerous way. Don't put too much stock in, in other people to such a degree that you become dependent upon them. Which also unvi- uh, un- un- uh, uncovers a very beautiful mitzvah, which is also in this um, in this pasuk, which is lois iskodedu, which literally means is that one's not allowed to pull out one's hair or mutilate. But uh, embedded in that, the Gemara also describes in a Ruvin, onivamos yud gimel amabez that the, included in this is lois asa aguras aguras. Don't break into divisions into groups. This is very fascinating because for most of the history, most of Jewish history, in, um, up to the point of the end of the second Beis Hamikdash, all normative halacha was voted in the, in the Sanhedrin. There was only one way of doing things. So there may be disagreement in terms of the theory, but in terms of practice, everything was voted uh, voted into one way of practice. At times of Hillel and Shammai, that's when Machloeka started um, increasing. Well, it's interesting why then, why particularly that time, Rav, um, Rav Yehuda Nasi, Rebbe, tried to bring it all together in the Mishnah. Later, Ravina Ravashi tried to bring it all together in the Gemara. Later, Rav Yosef Karim the Shulchan Aruch tried to norm- norm- normalize or centralize one direction. Um, but nonetheless, um, for, for uh, the points up to that, that point, Halacha, normal to practice, was in fact um, cohesive. It was was one directional. So this is a prohibition of don't factionalize. Don't make yourselves into so many factions. Rav Hirsch points out that th- this is the counterbalance of this, is that when you factionalize, what you're essentially doing you're, is you're dismissing other people. So the one, one part of this mitzvah is don't rip your hair out upon the death of other people, meaning to say don't give too much stock to others. But um, on, on the other hand is also don't dismiss them completely. Don't think that they're not they're worthless and you can make your own faction. That's the balance in these two sides of the halachic. Um, um, context over here. Another question, why is the section of the kosher animals right over here in the Torah? So Rav Hirsch says it's, it's the convergence of two themes. On the one hand, we've just been to- told that you're allowed to eat basar ta'ava. Two aliyahs back, you're allowed to eat regular meat, not as the form in the form of a korban. You can just have a butcher in your town. You don't have to bring them as a korban shlomim. That's not what we discussed two aliyahs ago. In the last aliyah, we talked about the importance and the purity of the human soul and in communal life and in individual life. Putting those two together, that's going to now govern, well, you may be able to eat all these the, 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 this meat. Well, here's how and here's with the purity necessary. That's what's happening in our aliyah. 
It's interesting that the Divrei Chaim on Yoradea Simon Zayin says that when one eats non-kosher food, God forbid, it actually blocks up one's spiritual soul. There's what's called Tim Tum Hanefesh. It's a natural consequence of eating something which is not kosher. And the Direi Chaim points out that there were many communities who were lost and their children were lost because they weren't so careful about kashras, which meant that they weren't so open to spiritual ideas. And unfortunately, all the great education they may have got did not help them. The Oznan Torah of Sarotskin quotes this and he says, that's why perhaps this Aliyah follows the Meses Umediach. Meses Umediach is when one person comes and convinces others to serve some sort of pagan or other force in the world to not put their stock in God. Well, people might be open to that if they're not following this aliyah, which is kashrus, because kashrus gives the opportunity of purifying the soul to be open to certain good ideas and closed to bad ideas. That's why the two go hand in hand. A very powerful and very scary thought as well. Uh, another question, why are the anakosh animals mentioned when the rules should have been enough? Meaning to say there's a list of all these kosher animals, the ox and the, ca- and, and the, the goat and the ibex, why list them? Just give us the rules and we'll know automatically how many they are. So Rashi explains this is to emphasize that there is more that we cannot eat when it comes to animals than what we can eat, which is the opposite by the birds. The birds are there are more which we cannot, there are more which we can eat than which we cannot eat, which is why the list is the non-kosher ones. The Maram Shif on Chulin um, Samach Gimel does tell us that this is an educational format to tell us that it's easier to keep things simple. Just give us the list, even though it's not an exhaustive list, but give us the list of what the general, more called data today animals that we are able to eat and that's what the Torah is doing over here. Another question, why towards the end of Aliyah is Nevela, an animal which died not through ritual slaughter, through Shechita? Why is that mentioned in this Aliyah as well? So the Netziv explains because you may have thought that the reason why the Torah wants us to keep kosher is because it is a healthier manner of lifestyle. These animals are healthier, they're slimmer, they're more lean, they eat good foods, they're not, they're not predators in general. So th- therefore this is a b- better and we'll call moral moral diet. That's not true. Because the Torah says, let's say an animal was shechted incorrectly. That animal becomes a nevela and you're not allowed to eat it. Which means to say that the reason is because you're a holy nation following HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the reason. And finally, one last question. Why is meat and milk mentioned at the very end of the Aliyah? It's important to notice that the, the that not eating basar v'chal of meat and milk is mentioned three times in the Torah to emphasize that there are three prohibitions involved. One is cooking, one is eating, and one is getting any benefit from it. This is different to regular what we call treif. All the animals mentioned in the saliyah and the birds and the fish which you may not eat are not allowed to be eaten, but they can be cooked if not eaten, and they can be used to gain benefit. As an example, then the end of the aliyah, it expands you can sell it. Selling is getting benefit. So let's say a person has treif meat, a person may sell the treif meat to a non-Jew and gain profit from it. However, when it comes to basavachal of meat and milk, one may not get benefit from it, which is why one has to be careful about getting milk and meat dog food, because one's animal and therefore oneself is getting benefit from milk and meat. So that's perhaps why it's put over here as a counterbalance, as a in contrast to the previous section. This ends obviously a very packed aliyah of Ravi. In the meantime, I have one Wonderful and meaningful.